The glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies. Stop! Full stop! We are taking an overhaul with the show, ladies and gentlemen, faithful listeners of the gory days. Once a podcast dedicated to the horror movies of 1980s and 1990s and yesteryear. I'm pretty sure now, statistically, we have done the majority of movies that have come out after 1990, and so I'm just broadening my horizons. You know, you want to stay evergreen, so The Gory Days is not just about the past, it's not just about the present, it's about all movies, and we'll get into all of that with our guest today, but before I do... D23 is over. It's Tuesday, the Tuesday after D23 when this is coming out. And it's official. Spider-Man is not in the MCU anymore. Uh, I think Marvel and Kevin Feige finally put out an official tweet or or, uh, article or something. But that's it. And it's really confusing because if you've been following the D23, uh, uh, (laughs) the amusement park stuff... Spider-Man's attached to everything. He gets his own building. He gets his own ride. It's it's absolutely nuts. And I'll introduce you in a second. Have you seen what's going on? On it, it it's nuts. I'm excited. I really want to go on those rides, but I have no idea. Like, so so get ready for Spider-Man to join back into Sony and play with Venom and and Dab and Floss. I can guarantee you that we're going to see Spider-Man Floss or something. It's 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 Avi Arid just just going nuts. Amy Pascal supporting everything that they want. I just, I don't think it's over till the fat lady sings. But didn't the fat lady sing on Saturday? I think that was the tweet. Or it's, Sunday? It's Disney. They're America's corporate overlords. And I feel like they're gonna, something, I feel like they're gonna work something out because really Disney was just being greedy and like, and then Sony called their bluff. So I feel like there's, Give it a few months. Do you see like the level of in- like intimacy we're familiar with the deals and stuff? How does all of this get leaked? Why am I privy to the uh, closed door deals that Sony and Disney are talking about with this really valuable IP? It, it seems like a publicity stunt. Oh, it's publicity because Disney wants to make Sony look bad and Sony wants to make Disney look bad. Which and is bad. <laughs> there's probably some, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle um yeah i just love all the memes about let's get ready for uncle ben to die again yeah geez. like i just hope <laughs> that spongebob one in particular was pretty great <laughs> as long as they at least continue the narrative of the last spider-man movies keep the cast i don't care that much if it's connected they did set up the whole he's replacing iron man thing so that is like that'd be a, a big story arc to just drop but i just wanted it to continue because the last one ended on a big cliffhanger and I think Tom Holland's a great Spider-Man. He's the best. Stan Lee himself even signed off publicly and said that Tom Holland is the right age and height and body of what I was picturing when I was coming up with Spider-Man, like, back in the 60s. So you, you can't get better than that. Uh, who is this person I'm talking to, ladies and gentlemen? My guest today is a screenwriter and playwright based right here in Los Angeles, but he's originally from Detroit. We'll get into all of that. Please welcome to the Gory Days, Colin Callahan. How's it going? What up, guys? <laughs> um, so, uh, 
I know that you have a YouTube channel, but yes. I don't know how like attached you, uh, Cullen, is to this realm. Because some people, you know, want to keep a, a presence on their brand and make sure that people aren't uh, double dipping in their private life. Is that the case? Can I talk about <laughs> your YouTube channel? Uh, yeah. So YouTube for me, it's more of just like a fun thing. Like if it took off, that'd be amazing. Well, it's kind of like this. Yeah. Like it's it's something I like to do. And it, well, I should say I liked to do. Now it's like I'm trying to get back into it after moving to LA and trying to adjust. This is I've been here about a year now, as of this month. Okay. So trying to get back on my feet. Not, yeah, like back on your feet. Back it on my sound feet. Like anything. But like just figuring out like okay, like how to live like a, a normal adult life. Sure. Um, and like balance everything. So I've been writing a lot. But I do want to get back into YouTube because I did act in high school and oh. college a bit. And so I missed that. So that's like kind of my outlet. The character was a character from like a group play I wrote in between college and grad school. And so I just like took took up the character's life. And Okay, so yeah. you've given me a lot to unpack here. Let's go back a little bit. <laughs> so when did you make... Hold on. What is the name of this YouTube channel? It is uh, your boy Ryan. So like, sup guys, it's your boy. Ryan. Oh, is that him? Oh, Ryan just came into the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan's here. Uh, Ryan is twenty years old okay. now. Um, he was seventeen. Oh, he ages realistically. Ages. That's fun. His birthday is seven eleven. Oh, great! Yeah. He gets a free Slurpee on his birthday. Or do you yeah. get two free Slurpees? Because don't they give you one on your birthday? <laughs> I that's, think I just made that up. I, yeah, I, I've never heard of that, but he does think that's why there are free slippers because it's his birthday. Okay. Um, so he is just, uh, he's just a bro, and it started as his kind of life advice on how to be as popular as he is. And now, is this a version of you that takes, like, aspects of yourself and just heightens it for the show, or is this a completely left turn for Colin? <laughs> it's somewhere between a version and a complete left turn because okay. I'm not really super broy and like he's very dumb. Um so that's part of it. But I always I kind of have two personalities. I call it my redhead and my blonde personality because my hair is kind of a mix of both. Okay. And so Ryan is like 100% the blonde personality. And so, which one are you? You're 100% redhead? <laughs> I'm not 100% but like I have like I feel like my red set redheaded side is like my geeky side. I've just gotten kind of gotten used to it, and I like rolled with it, and made this kind of character. How I'm definitely not, but how sometimes people see me, and who's definitely thinks he's a lot cooler than he is. Okay, so tell me how. Do, uh, so tell me more about the uh, YouTube channel. I know it's been on a hiatus, but yeah. it's a life advice uh, uh, channel where you pop in and he answers questions, or he just shares like a video diary. It's it switches. So sometimes he's talking about like rushing a frat or how the emoji movie is the best movie he's ever seen. Okay. And other times he's like, This is what I learned at church camp or like this is like how to form a click or like back to school tips or sometimes it's just talking about being a sad boy. Okay. Yeah. And who who is the audience? Who is who is this for? Is this for people who in are in high school or in their twenties that would be experiencing the same thing as them? That, and I think just people who like comedy. Okay. Kind of like a Miranda Sings kind of deal. Is it scripted or uh, improvised or a mix? It's like I make an outline and I kind of go from there. Nice. Okay. Yeah. It's it's funny because my sister teaches high school and she apparently somehow like her family came up and she's like, oh, these are my brothers. And one of her students had like watched my videos, which I have like 35 subscribers. I do not get a ton of views. Well, you got to like, start somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So like. Like Drake. But it. <laughs> I'm just like Drake, um, but it's funny because this this girl was like, "Oh, I know him," 
yeah so it's, how'd that feel that was that's was just the weird. beginning it was, yeah <laughs> it was weird and then because then you'll get comments like do your vlogs shirtless and then oh do people actually comment that's not great interaction off, not often but sometimes and then i'm like and it's usually just a demand that you strip <laughs> and i'm like this is either like a 45 year old man or a 12 year old girl and I don't think I want to indulge either. You'd, you'd never be able to know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> That's probably safe. Keep those at arm's reach. Yeah, I think I just think, yeah, nudity is probably good to avoid. Otherwise, yeah, that'd be a very different YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> probably on a different streaming service or whatever. Yeah. So did you start this uh, in, when you were 17 or? No, I was, how old? It was my first... Was it in high school? It was in grad school. Okay. Oh, okay. So it was kind of a joke when I was going to grad school. I was, like, getting my first credit card and stuff, and I was renting the park for this play where the character of Ryan was in it, and I was playing him, and people were like, oh, well, you have to be 18. And I'd be like, I'm 21. <laughs> so it was kind of this joke that people often think I'm younger, especially older people. I think younger people kind of can tell but when you're older and like everyone who's young is young, they're yeah, like, exactly. you're 16. And I'm like, ah, I'm And not. so you just kind of leaned into that. Yeah. That's exciting. So I have to usually try and make sure to shave. <laughs> right, I, right. Yeah. So uh, you film, edit, write, act it out all by yourself? Yeah. That's I awesome. Mean, you can probably tell I'm not an amazing editor. <laughs> I don't. I I have to admit I haven't watched the YouTube channel yet. Yeah. I'm sorry. So <laughs> no, it's fine. That, that's why I'm asking like for so many descriptions because I don't. What was the last video that you released uh, before the hiatus? It was in January. It was what he had learned in his fall semester, his freshman year of college. Okay. So then, where do you draw that from? Like your actual past, or do you just invent things? There's a bit for of him to experience. There's a bit of both. I take things that happen to me and or and I exaggerate them. And then there's like I call it the Ryan verse. There's like character. Cool. There's characters. Some do you play, play other characters? That's awesome. I I don't play the other oh, characters. Oh, okay. Anyone else who goes on my channel is now a character. Oh, they're not themselves. So like, someone was um, like other well, YouTubers, just like friends. Okay, gotcha. So it's like my friend came on, and then she was Stacy with a ch, <laughs> <laughs> and. Stacy, I like it. Um, and so it's like there's he has this whole world of characters, and so using their personalities, I like create events. Like there's his someone else who was in the play that he originated from reprised their character in the YouTube channel. His like frenemy Christian, and Christian's dating a girl that like he's in love with. So he'll be like someone who I like may or may not like be in love with, who like won't be named her name Talia, like. So there's a whole universe of characters, so I can kind of create little storylines. So you're world building on this YouTube channel. That's exciting. Yeah, it's Do you fun. have, like, long-reaching plans or arcs for these characters? No. Okay. <laughs> it's just no. whatever happens, happens. Yeah, it's like, if someone is available and wants to be in it, like, oh, let's make a character for you. But or... it's never, like, uh, that love triangle, like, uh, you know, develops a little bit, or someone actually falls in love with someone else, and... I could go with that because that happened in the play, and so it's already diverted from, like, the timeline of the play. So this YouTube channel is an extension of the play that you wrote? Yeah, I, I, was, I co-wrote. It was, like, a group play. Tell us about that. It was uh, some friends from Michigan were like, let's write, like, a... Like, they just wanted to do a play, and everyone kind of wrote a section, and then I kind oh, of... Oh, like an anthology, or...? Yeah, like, okay. we integrated them all into one storyline. It was very... Experimental sounds edgier than it was. It wasn't that. It edgy, sounds experimental. But it was like, oh, let's just try this out. And it was uh, there were songs. Um, oh, it was a musical. 
Yeah, there were a couple songs. So I've written musicals before, and so one of my composers was in the play, so we wrote a song for the character of Talia to sing, because she was actually, Ryan was a side character. She was the main character in that storyline. Okay. Um, a fa- From a fake musical called Pegasus, The Horse Who Wanted to Fly. Is that the musical, like, within the musical? Yeah, it's like okay. they're refer- they referenced two fake musicals, because they referenced Hangry, the Hunger Games musical, and... <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and Pegasus, the horse who wanted to fly. So it was a song about like becoming who you're meant to be. But it's about like, I know I'm just a horse and I just want to fly. I didn't um, know you were a composer too. I'm a lyricist. I can't, a lyricist. Okay. Yeah, I can't, I don't, I can't even read music. I can't play an <laughs> instrument. But basically in high school. But you got rhythm. I got rhythm. <laughs> I In high school, I saw this terrible play. And I was like, that was bad. And one of my friend's moms was like, well, you should write your own play. And I was like, yeah, I will. And then, what was this terrible play that started you on this path? Do you remember? Was, yeah, I don't want to like roast anyone. Um, <laughs> That's nice of you. But it was a play about the founder of the Knights of Columbus. So it's like a it was a church play. Oh, um, okay. And I'd been one of their plays before, and there were some really talented people. Why do I frown when I hear the Knights of Columbus? Why does that have a negative connotation in my they head? They actually they shouldn't, should they? They don't have any scandals. You okay, know, for, good. For a okay. Catholic group, you immediately think of like five scandals. <laughs> but I don't I think do. they do. <laughs> that's literally, I just heard it and I thought like, okay, that's related to one of the more orthodox religions. So yeah. there's got to be something there. But There's I guess probably not. some scandal, but not that I know of. Okay. Um, or I, me neither. Maybe yeah. someone listening to this is like, no, they did this. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they're old, so I'm sure something's happened along the way. Um, <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, it had some creative people, like they were really bad they had trouble with the whole like storyline thing um you mean the play yeah <laughs> the whole it being a play part <laughs> yeah and just the the composer was this very talented man i think he's an amazing orchestrator i just think he he's not a great songwriter he overstretched his talent yeah and like but i still think he's an amazing musician so i was like okay i'll write my own play and i did i took sleeping beauty and i was like i'm gonna make this <laughs> like a three-hour thing. Okay. It was like yeah. you took the Rogers or uh, the um. Oh shoot, who's the? Is it Hans Christian Andersen? It's Sleeping Beauty, it's, or is it the other two? Sleeping Grimm's Beauty's Brothers. Like, yeah, I use the Grimm Brothers. Okay. But it was written also by Charles Pro in France. There's like a creepy, rapey Italian version. Oh. There's like it's it's old. Like we don't really know the true origin, but I use the Brothers Grimm, which is the one we're familiar with because like he kisses her and she wakes up that's the one that disney adapted right yeah okay Di- and then because there's the ballet which is based the french version the prince just walks in kneels down and she wakes up and she's like i've been waiting for you like i have so much to talk to you about oh he doesn't even <laughs> touch her and i I'm gotta like, tell you about this dream i had <laughs> yeah and then there's the italian version which is the one people be like the original version he rapes her and that's the oh yes that's the creepy gross one where she gives birth in her yeah. sleep and wakes up to triplets right yeah okay and then there's the french one which he doesn't even touch her and there's the brother's grim where he kisses her okay so it's like huh. scales um and disney did the kiss so now that is two americans that is yes beauty. two white people <laughs> kissing <laughs> everything works out yeah so I did I did that. Um, I definitely borrowed very heavily from the Disney version because they had the whole part with her in the forest. Um, so you wrote it. Did you cast and produce it and yeah. put it all on? That's yeah. incredible. With other high school kids. Still. Yeah. It was a good time. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Um, my lyrics, I feel like, were derivative. But um, <laughs> next time I wrote a musical, I felt like my lyrics got a lot better. What was the next musical? Uh, you're gonna notice a theme. I did the Brothers Grimm Cinderella. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> that's okay to have a theme. There were also pirates in it and shadow demons. Kind of like Once Upon a Time <laughs> we're getting into now. Yeah, it was like 
I did it as my senior, senior thesis for the Honors College, and I wanted to kind of take a feminist twist, but I f- not lose what makes the character so relatable and likable. Huh. Because... Was this back in Detroit? Yes. Okay. So I did just a staged reading of that one. It was like a smaller cast. It wasn't like a full-on musical. Um, but, so, it, but it was with a feminist angle. In, yes. uh Did you get like an indie theater or was it at the school? It was at the school. Okay. So I just kind of like put it on. Wow. I filmed it. Yeah. And How it, was I, it received? People liked it. And Great. this was, it was too long. It oh. was definitely too long. It was like three and a half hours. You wrote a three <laughs> hour play? Yeah, it was... <laughs> Was this a musical too? Yeah, it was a musical. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a, oh my god. But some people saw it multiple nights. It how, was how on. many performances did you have? We had two performances in a dress rehearsal. Okay. Because it was just it was a stage reading, so we had like a month and a half of rehearsal, I right. think. And uh, people cried. Um, yeah, people cried in both of them, which you're always like, oh, I'm such a terrible writer, like because that's what you do as a writer, you just critique yourself. You're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah, but then you're like. Well, I actually did get an emotional reaction from people in a play that was, like, too long, so kind of hard to sit through, but, like, they still cried, because there were some twists. Like, the first act is very much kind of follows a Cinderella tries to get to the ball, like, that arc we're familiar with. Sure. And the second act is, like, the ball, but also, like, insanity and, like, witch trials and Well, you've got to set up expectations if you're going to subvert them. Yeah, so, like, it was exciting that people could watch a story where it's, like, you kind of know how it's going to end. But there was enough of a love triangle where people were like, ooh, who's she going to end up with? And then, like, what's going to happen? Like, characters look like they're going to die and, like, this and that. So it was – it's something I'm very proud of. I think the first act is really amazing. It just needs to be trimmed. And the second act – Are you going to go back to it? I'd like to. Now, it's hard because – so my composers were friends from college and – no, college. Lost High school. High school. I grew up – I grew up with some of these kids from middle school. And you stayed in touch. That's great. Yeah. Like, I was in one of their weddings. Like, Aww. yeah. And so we, I was just kind of like, you know, hey, uh, I'm writing a musical. You should write the songs. And my friend Nate was like, I've never written a song before. And I'm like, well, you should Good do it. <laughs> I've never written a play before either. Like, here there we you go. go. That's the best way to start. So, and then uh, my friend Dylan got involved and my friend Paul. And uh, there was a guy named Matt who wrote a song and helped with some of the orchestrations for the first one. And then Dylan, Nate, and Paul worked on the second musical but now like nate and dylan are like married with kids paul just got married um so they're like real adults yeah so it's harder to get in touch with them you probably have to replace a couple of them <laughs> i don't know new... i think yeah if we if i were to go back to those projects i would definitely still use them because like their music is so connected to the project like i can't imagine it without their style they took characters in new ways or they stopped some real bad ideas i had because well, you know what them. you're capable of yeah. and that's what your youtube channel comes out it's your place to do everything by yourself yeah. it's nice to collaborate with others on different projects are you working on a new play are you what are you doing these days then so these days i have a i do ha- i have my own podcast oh you do i do <laughs> yeah uh it's called there's one episode it's out on spotify <laughs> Um, Colin, you told me, oh, well, you can just introduce me as a screenwriter. That's fine. But you're a lyricist and a playwright and a YouTuber, and you've got this going on. Seriously, this is really incredible. <laughs> Tell me about your podcast. Uh, it's called Glee Boot. Okay. It's, we're... I remember talking yeah. about this off mic. You did it. Awesome. Yeah, so we're, uh, me and my friends from grad school, we're re-watching Glee two episodes at a time 
often drinking and <laughs> discussing you kind of have to <laughs> yeah discussing how we would reboot glee because it's gonna happen yeah we how long know. has it been now when did glee first come out was that 2009 yeah, it came out in 2009 because I was a sophomore. I was always the age of the Glee kids. I was a senior. <laughs> yeah, and then it ended in 2015. Like, okay. I don't think people realize how long that show went on for. It's been gone. stopped watching. <laughs> but, like, it went on until 2015. I mean, I remember picking up, like, news stories here and there about, like, you know, Finn dying yeah. and those things. But I never, I still never went back to it after that first season. Watched the whole first season, though. Yeah, I've I watched the first three. Okay. So we're going back. There's what five? There's six. Six. Okay. So I'm excited to get to the lost seasons, as I call them, because <laughs> did anyone watch them? Um, so we're just watching them. We're discussing them. How we would change things? Okay. Because I think it has such a great premise and did have such good characters. And some episodes are really good, and others are not. And some jokes have aged. Very poor. I was going to ask that. I was like, um, 2009, it doesn't seem that long ago, and yet it was a really different time, especially for yeah. the themes that they're playing with. Yeah, so it was really progressive for the time, yet there's still some jokes that are like, hmm. And then yeah. there's just, I always joke like, you can't even tell a man wrote this, because... <laughs> but a man did, right? Yeah, like yes. it's very obvious that so many times the women are shoved into these very like support roles, which is unfortunate, unfortunate. Especially when they have so much to give. They have so the much women to on give. Yeah, like, Leah Michelle, Rachel is amazing. Yeah. Um, and actually, I really think, though, Finn, like, he, it's really tragic, yeah, his is. death. Because he is. he is, I was not, like, a quarterback football player in high school. Yet Neither I was still, I. <laughs> I still connect with him a lot. I think he's really relatable. And I think they're, him and Rachel are both off enough. They make two really good protagonists and they're very different than like i love like say riverdale on like the cw like i love that okay it's ridiculous but i love it but like they're definitely like everyone in riverdale is like cw hot and people in glee they're all attractive they're actors but like they definitely are a little more off i feel like it's because of the necessity to also be good singers like, yeah. there's only so much you can ask for to get a beautiful person and a beautiful singer that they kind of, you know, had to work with what they got. So they look like real teenagers. More. Yeah. Even, Even though, though they were like 30, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Puck is like 30. Okay. Like, the others, like, I'm like, okay, in season How one How old was least, the teacher? Was he like their age? That's funny. Basically, because he had dated the girl who played Rachel. He had dated, Matthew Morrison and Lee Michelle had dated before Glee started. That's funny. It shouldn't be weird because that's totally normal out in the real world, but the characters makes it weird. That's funny. It makes it weird. And he's, spoiler if you watch my podcast, but he's so awful, the teacher. He's really, he's painted as such a good guy and he's so annoying and so bad. Isn't he, like, uh, pining after one of the female teachers is, yeah. like, his uh, his story? Yeah, him and this teacher have, like, a thing, but then he's also married to a wife who is... Oh, right! Spoiler, as of the second episode of Glee, um, she's faking a pregnancy. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that! And it's that. just, like, insane, and that's just the... That's usually what takes the episode down, is, like, this teacher trying to live, recaptures glory days, and I'm like, I just want to watch... Like, these teenagers have their, like, awkward flirting and, like, figuring out their life. And you would have hoped they would have pivoted after, like, season two and seen that people were responding more to the group than his story. They definitely pivot. Good, okay. Because you're almost surprised. You're like, oh my gosh, so much of this is about Will? Yeah, it's his show. Because by the third season, it's like he has, like, a C plot. And, like, everything else is about, like, the teens. But right now, it's like the A plot is Will. And you're like... So you're two episodes in? 
Because of the first yeah. episode you said? No, we are... We've watched the first six episodes. So oh, we have awesome. one episode out, the first okay. two episodes. But you've uh, got the other ones backlogged. Yeah, we're nice. just uh, figuring out the best way to edit them. Um, I, my roommate is much better at sound editing than I am, so she's kind of like... And what was the out. name of that podcast one more time? Glee Boot. Glee Boot, I love it. I know, I was, I was just thinking, what are we going to call this? And then it was like perfect yeah it just gets, yes. it rolls off the tongue too in a gross way <laughs> yeah like gleek and all the other yeah. gleeisms so to um now officially move our way into uh horror the movie that we were supposed to watch this week i cannot believe i've been doing this show since october of 2017 and i've never done this before ladies and gentlemen i watched the wrong movie <laughs> i'm i'm shook <laughs> I am so sorry, Colin. This is your first and only experience on the Gory Days, and I watched the wrong freaking movie. But to be fair, this is a really confusing situation here. The difference between the movie I watched and the movie you watched. I thought, and the episode title is Insidious, James Wan's 2011 offering into horror. But going through my chat, my, my text logs, you clearly said and i verbally confirmed that you watched the conjuring yes because james wan's 2013 movie it's the only horror movie i've ever seen unless you count rose red which is this stephen king miniseries oh that we used to watch in college as like a joke so you're not a big fan of horror no i, I That's have okay i have no like emotional wall like <laughs> What does that mean? Like, I, I'm trying to, like, the usually, the thing that people have that, like, I guess gives them chill or, like, keeps them from just, like, absorbing the emotions of people around them, I just don't think I have. So, like, if someone sitting next to me is stressed, I will be stressed. So, like... Oh, you're an empath. I guess. <laughs> um, so when I watch a movie, like, it can be a cheesy movie. It can be Toy Story 4, and if something scary happens, I'm jumping. Okay. Like, I just, I react. And, like, growing up, my friend's parents would be like, oh, he's the best kid to, like take a move take to a movie because he reacts to everything because it's just all on the surface that's yeah, really cool like i gasp so like if i'm not into the movie like that means it's it's pretty bad because yeah. like i just can't connect at all so when i watch a horror movie i'm scared and that's what they're trying to do of course so some people are like oh i'm not scared i'm like I feel like, why watch it then if you're not going to be scared? I don't get that. People talk about horror movies like that. Like, oh, I don't, yeah, like they're tough or something. But that's the whole point of going to the movie. That's what suspension of disbelief is. It's me removing, like, that part of me that goes out in the world and, you know, analyzes things and, you know, cynical about stuff. And eschew that so that I can have everything that the director wants me to see and experience it, like, genuinely, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, why else would you watch... A horror movie. So it's a lot for me to go through, which is why I don't watch them all the time. But... I feel like I kind of have to affect that a little bit sometimes when I watch movies. Like, I'm trying to be... And it happens more when I'm watching it with other people. If I watch a movie by myself, I don't find myself physically reacting as much. But when I watch it with other people, something in me brings the gasps out and, like, mutters, Oh my god. Like, when we're watching something. It's the shared experience. Is that it? To communicate. I react even if I'm by myself. Okay. Um, but I definitely do react around people. Like when I watched this movie, I like had a friend come over because I'm like, people will enjoy watching me watch. Oh, it wasn't for support. You just wanted to entertain somebody. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's like kind of for support, but I also knew like that particular friend would think it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, Oh, you might be good on a Twitch stream playing some horror (laughs) video games. The most reactive people always seem to get the most vote, uh, uh, likes. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm very reactive. 
So what made you uh, flock to these two horror movies if you generally try to avoid them? So The Conjuring, they had like an outdoor screening in college. And I I remember this very specifically because my friend Jasmine was like, I'll go with you because she loves scary movies and I don't. And I was like (laughs) gripping her hand and like freaking out the whole time. But also there was another girl that had a crush on who was there. Ah. So I like didn't want to look like too ridiculous in front of her. Mm -hmm. And I think I glanced her way like one too many times. But so I like remember the experience of watching it and it was, it was still good the second time though. Like it wasn't as big as I remembered it because it was such like, this was the first scary movie I'd ever seen. Sure. And outside I can imagine it's a little bit easier. You're not like in the sound controlled uh, space of a movie theater or was it? I don't know. Well, it was cool. Cause it was like, yeah, it was outside. It felt kind of, it's very Halloweeny and I have really loud neighbors, like the neighbors across from me are so loud that like I was watching The Conjuring and also hearing about how they thought Adam Lambert had the best season of American Idol. Wow, those are paper thin walls. <laughs> yeah, they're well it's they're on the other side of like the driveway. They're like they just keep their windows open and they just some people scream talk. Yeah, yeah this they is do. How they talk. And I've got some neighbors here but yeah. <laughs> I'm like I've had a party and I'm pretty sure our party wasn't as loud as them just like hanging out. Just talking to each other, yeah. Yeah. Reminds so, me of the uh, uh, antelopes in Zootopia. <laughs> yes. yes yeah very loud yeah so yeah you watched the conjuring and mm-hmm. i watched insidious and i feel like there's still some good content to get out of this because of how like they're both directed by james wan they both star patrick wilson mm-hmm. and they both spun off into crazy franchises the conjuring much crazier uh but insidious still confusing so uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about both Insidious and The Conjuring with my guest Colin Callahan right here on The Gory Days. The Gory Days. Welcome back to The Gory Days, my guest Colin Callahan. And I forgot to introduce myself, Kyle Leone, your host for another week. Uh, maybe I'll force myself uh, into the intro with a re-edit or something. But the movie we're talking about today is Insidious, but... The movie Colin watched today is The Conjuring, so since I didn't do my research on The Conjuring, do you happen to know uh, who, when it came out or any of that? <laughs> I couldn't tell you the year it came out. Okay. Um, I hate to put you on the spot. <laughs> it was, I think it's based on a book based on... Maybe this would be easier. This would be a little bit easier if I went first. Yeah, because I think Insidious you go came first. first, just chronologically. Yeah. So James Wan, if you don't know, uh, he's the director of Aquaman and he's exploded. But once upon a time, James Wan and his friend screenwriter Lee Winnell were in Australia, just trying to make their movies. And eventually, they made this short movie called Saw, and they brought it over to America. And in Hollywood, they went all over town pitching this movie, and no one would take them until finally Lionsgate, which at, uh, really recently at the time was trying to blow up its uh, horror distribution. So it was a match made in heaven. James Wan and Lee Winnell went on to make eight films. They, of course, only exec- directed and screenwrote the first one, but they executive produced the other seven. Films, comic books, video games, the Saw franchise is enormous, and we have James Wan to thank for that. Then, in 2007, he released two movies that did not go well at all. <laughs> Dead Silence. Do you remember that one? That was the no. one with the puppets and, uh, like, um, not a tooth fairy, but this witch that would take your tongue so that you couldn't talk anymore. It was panned. It was bad. But uh, <laughs> I remember the marketing and trailers for it being kind of scary. And then the other one that year was Death Sentence with uh, Kevin Bacon, which wasn't a horror film. 
but confused me because Dead Silence had come out earlier that year, and James Wan was attached to this one, and it had the word death in it again. So yeah. I assumed it was a horror. But it's about Kevin Bacon, like, getting revenge. Somebody, like, inadvertently kills his son, and so he goes on a rampage. And that's okay. that's death sentence. Uh, so in response to these more violent movies, James Wan uh, realized that it made people hesitant to work with him because he made these like super gory movies that not everyone yeah. would uh, like and wouldn't have much of a like uh, wide release appeal. So Insidious is kind of his response to all of that. It's a horror movie without any of the gore. It's all character based and all shock and uh, uh, all of that. So Insidious had its worldwide premiere at TIFF at the Toronto uh, International Film Festival during the Midnight Madness program on September 14th, 2010. And within 12 hours, Sony had bought the distribution rights and sequel rights. So they had high hopes for this franchise after seeing just the first film. I mean, why wouldn't you? James Wan just finished making eight Saw movies. You want anything he'll do uh, because it could, you know, live on. It was the first theatrical release of the short-lived production company Film District, which the last movie they made was 2014's Pompeii. So, came and went. And uh, so now we're getting back into how this ties into The Conjuring. So he released Insidious in 2011, and then Insidious Chapter 2 in 2013. The Conjuring comes out in July. Insidious comes out in September. Insidious Chapter 2. So screw me for being confused about two movies... Both directed by James Wan, both starring Patrick Wilson, both about ghosts, <laughs> and I got confused. Um, so, so yeah, hopefully that ties in a little bit. So, while he was directing and making this movie, he had an idea of doing The Conjuring, and since he was such good friends with Patrick Wilson, they just went over and made The Conjuring. So, let's get into the differences of it. First of all, they are not connected. Despite all of that, no, absolutely 100% not. (laughs) I mean, it's confusing to say so. Like, narratively, they're not connected. Obviously, James Wan directed both, Patrick Wilson, so they're connected in that way. But their stories are completely separate. And yet, they both deal with ghosts. Insidious is the story of a family, uh, the Lamberts, who uh, one of their sons goes into a coma and doesn't wake up for months. Meanwhile, the wife is experiencing seeing things and hearing things and these apparitions until finally she's insisting that the house is haunted, so they move. But the ghosts don't stop, and that's when we get our big wham line when they elicit the help of a paranormal... uh, Not an exorcist. It's like an exorcist for atheists. You know what I mean? Like, uh, she's a spiritualist, that's it. Oh, okay, yeah. So she comes in and tells them, it's not the house that's haunted, it's your son. (laughs) I think there's even a musical cue. But that's Insidious. (laughs) What's The Conjuring? You're lucky I'm very good at summarizing plots. Thank you. (laughs) So The Conjuring is based on an allegedly real story. Uh, This family with a lot of daughters, I think. There's (laughs) one, two, three, four... One of them is the girl from the kissing booth, and one is the girl from the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. <laughs> That's okay. I don't think I would have ever recognized them, but I'm glad you did. That's um, a great trivia. And uh, it's this family. They move into the house, and then all this stuff starts happening. Like the first night, the dog is attacked and died because the dog won't go into the house. And then doors are creaking, and then they start like just experiencing supernatural phenomena. 
and like someone's clapping because they play this game the kind of game only people play in horror movies where they like <laughs> blindfold themselves and you go play hide and seek and like the person claps and that's how you find them oh my god that is so ripe <laughs> for horror <laughs> yeah walking around a house in the dark hearing sudden clap that's great that's yeah. great so then it's like weird people are clapping and then they get in contact with ed and lorraine warren the real life self-professed demonologists who want to help and it's kind of like a family drama about this family and the Warrens family because there was an exorcism that went badly. So Lorraine... In the Warrens family? Yeah. Okay. So, because Lorraine is a medium and it like took a toll on her at the last exorcism. And so Patrick Wilson's character, Ed, wants to like protect her. And then she's like, no, we need to help this family and they're beautiful girls. And it turns out that there's this, like all these different people have died and there's this witch that's haunting the house, this like dead witch. And Are you getting into spoiler territory? Because like I want to try to uh, structure those together, okay. or is this, or is this just like more setup? Uh, we're into spoiler territory. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, um, man, how am I going to do this? Because usually what I do, yeah, you I, go through the movie. Yeah, I go through yeah, the movie a little um, bit. Uh, no, I think <laughs> what I wanted to point out though is Please. there's a big theme about motherhood mm. and maternity, and I feel like from what you just said, the mom is a main character. Oh yeah. So I, w- I think that's interesting. That's great. Yeah, let's yeah. start there about the parallels before we get into the differences. So uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, the family is Josh, Renee. Renee is spelled R-E-N-A-I. You would never know that except for the subtitles and the credits. Uh, Elise. D- oh, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, that's not the... So Josh, Renee, Callie, Foster, and Dalton. That's the family. Okay. Dalton is played by Ty Simpkins, who went on to be Harley in Iron Man 3 and uh, the little brother in Jurassic World. Um, He is up in the attic one night because he hears something, and he falls and, like, hits the back of his head. He's totally fine, um, but he doesn't wake up in the morning. And he goes into a coma for three months for three months, this family is uh, dealing with the very real adult horror of not caring about a head wound and them yeah. going into a coma because you were like, oh, it's fine. Go to sleep. Is there anything like, are there any kind of adult fears that get thrown into the first act of The Conjuring? A lot of it is like threats to the children. From like, the ghosts? From the ghosts. Oh, like, God. the children are being attacked, and it wants to kill the children, especially the young ones. Is it a scenario wherein the parents aren't believing the kids? Well, at first, they're just like, oh, like, you're being dramatic. But the parents do kind of, like, pick up on it, too, because it's happening to them. Um, at first, they just think the girls are, like, seeing monsters under the bed. Okay. Um, but it is, like, the real adult fear of, like your children being in danger because of like where you moved and there's the conjuring is a very religious movie it's funny because you mentioned that the, the insidious had like the spiritualist for atheists yeah that it's there's this exorcism element but it's never really addressed with a faith lens to it there's one scene where a priest is leaving the house and it's like oh she had a conversation with him but it's never addressed that this is a like heaven hell uh demon yeah, it very much, The Conjuring is very much in a religious world. Because okay. the Warrens, in real life, they're very religious people. And, and it's a period piece. What year is it? Is it in the 70s? I want to say it's the 50s or the 70s. Oh, okay, yeah. so later, okay. And the Warrens are like, oh, like, did you baptize your children? Hmm, okay. And they're like, oh, no. Like, we don't really go to church. And they're like, you might want to rethink that. Oh, no. Okay. And there's this whole, because there is this whole thing 
like that if you want an exorcism like that people have to be baptized um okay does that track in catholicism they don't really talk about exorcisms do they exorcisms don't happen that much especially anymore but i don't think they were ever super prevalent no or popular it was kind of a like black sheep like oh we don't really want to tell people we do this it's just a thing yeah so but i do get like i had a friend um in college who said that when she was really little because she didn't grow up in a religious family but when she was really little she used to have like these really horrible nightmares and so her parents had her baptized and they stopped interesting so she remembers she was old enough she was like old enough to remember have vague memories she had like she was baptized in the episcopal church um so that there's an interesting story there because i instantly want to go well it's psychosomatic Mm -hmm. she was experiencing trauma at a point in her life that was repressed and coming out in dreams and this external element that she believed in her heart of hearts would solve it did because it's psychosomatic the new thread is like, oh, yeah, she, they did go away, but now they went to her daughter or her sister yeah. or something like that. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because watching The Conjuring, it's like, I guess I like, I say I technically believe in everything. So like I technically believe, okay, yeah, ghosts could be real or okay. like I believe in demons or whatever. And but, that's not just for the movie. That's your real life. You believe those things? That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why like, I say that's okay. I mean, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. But like whenever someone's like, oh, I had this dream and it's meaningful or like whatever, I'm always like, but like science. Mm-hmm. Like... I never ever attribute anything in re- my real life to things that are supernatural, and like it's weird. So I don't I don't mess with like, Ouija boards, tarot cards because of that. But then on the flip side, I had friends who'd be like, "Oh, we're gonna pray over you and remove this demon or whatever," and I would be like, "You're just supernaturalizing like depression, and, yes. like mental illness, and like real things that you should seek help for." And if this was a demon, it would be a bad idea to like. Fuck, fuck, can I swear? Exactly. Yeah, to of like, course you can fucking swear. No worries. <laughs> to like fuck around with it, like then get a real exorcism. Yeah. But I really don't think it is. It's probably like, like a like you, you need, need support. To, yeah, yeah. You need so like I technically believe in everything, but like in when it comes to my real life, I'm usually I'm usually like you believe science. in everything with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like through a lens of science. So like reading about the Warrens. Because that's how they operate. They look at the the unknowable paranormal through a lens of science, right? I think they're definitely not super scientific. Oh, are they not going around with, like, ectoplasm? They do do that, but whenever you're reading about ghost hunters, you have two factions. You have people who are like, they're real, everything they've ever said is real, and the people that are like, they're frauds or they're idiots or, like, everything is crazy. And, like, so you really never get any real information because you're just reading about people that desperately want them to be right or desperately want them to be wrong. That's interesting because, I mean, I personally don't believe in ghosts and all of those shows are uh, entertaining. Um, But, yeah, they're But they're not documentaries like the way they're supposed to be. And everyone in those shows really wants to be an actor. They're they're all acting. And that's that's something great. But, you know, it's it's important to keep that kind of... uh, uh, reality in in backdrop when it comes to those shows yeah because they're just entertainment yeah exactly so i'm just so it was really i wanted to be like well what's going on with these people and i really couldn't get anything i guess concrete i just did like read a couple articles 
Well, that's interesting because in Insidious, they do go heavy into the science part of it. That when um, there's there's a long period of Patrick Wilson not believing Renee, saying he believes her and not, you know, mm-hmm. really acting on it. He even moves houses for her. And that's like a, a that's moment. That's a big deal. Yeah, where he explains. Because it's a great way. You know, in horror movies, it's always uh, if one person believes that the house is haunted, like in Rosemary's Baby or something, yeah. no one else believes them. And no one's going to do anything to help them. And for whatever reason, they can't take it upon themselves to just leave because they have you know family responsibilities yeah. or something this one subverts that by she's like you know fetal position saying i gotta move we gotta leave this house and they do they move to a different yeah. house a fully different location like i had been busy memorizing the layout of the first house and they just up and move it to a different one and the the, the horrors still happen so when they finally uh do when patrick wilson finally is like okay we'll bring someone in to talk to you it's these paranormal investigators who use like special cameras yeah. and special like uh i don't I, I keep saying ectoplasm readers i can't think of any other word for it that's just what i've heard from ghostbusters or whatever yeah i literally don't understand how any of that works it's all fake it's just yeah. like it's reading like like radio waves or something right or copper isn't that it they're just scanning like loose wires it's like i've never really cared enough to check <laughs> yeah, i'm just kind of like okay like whatever like if the if ghosts are real i probably want to avoid them well that's what's so funny to me is in insidious when this crew is looking around the house they're all skeptical and you can tell it's like yeah this is just what we do and then they pay us but then it's not even like oh the device finally picks something up it's he sees a ghost (laughs) he just sees it and he's like okay we got to call elise elise is um played by lynn shea who goes on to reprise this character in all of the other uh insidious movies but what's hilarious is uh well you know what i'll i'll save that for the very end i don't want to spoil anything i do want to an interesting parallel is so they move in the horror follows in the conjuring they were like oh we should move and the warrens are like oh no like this entity has attached itself to you it will follow you oh interesting so (laughs) how do you feel about this how do you feel about james wan doing insidious and essentially taking pictures just picking pieces that he liked of Insidious and making a really similar movie. What the heck is this? It feels like... I, I'm sorry, I, I just... I, I, it feels like bonkers that both of these movies can exist and they have this parallel. I'm really happy this is happening, actually. <laughs> like, uh, if I could change anything, I would have also watched The Conjuring, but, but this is great because they are criminally similar. Yeah, I think... I don't know. Sorry, like, I'm yeah. coming in hot. Yeah, I, I really don't know what's going on. Maybe he just he likes certain ideas. And sometimes I've written things with a lot of similarities to stuff I had written before, and uh-huh. I don't even realize it till later. But this was within two years. Two years ago, you wrote something, and it was really popular. How do you not realize you're just writing a... a it, in, <laughs> The Conjuring is Insidious in a parallel universe, and we somehow fused with the same parallel universe. Like, what about Patrick ba- uh, Patrick Patrick Bayton? What about Patrick Wilson's agent? Like, casting him in the same kind of picture. I, I guess that's good on his part. That's, or <laughs> a lot of agents do that. Is cast people in a lot of the same, same kind of movie? Yeah, yeah. Because that's how you get typecast, I guess. No, exactly. It's unless, a shame unless someone pulls a Chris Pratt and it's like we're reinventing you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Though I do feel like if you're like a white male actor, like you're just gonna be in Marvel. 
<laughs> at this point, yeah. yeah like, look at Kit Harrington. He no, just exactly. got cast. And they, I think they just cast Richard Madden, too, so I'm like, so it's literally, yeah. it's literally every white man is going to be in Marvel. Yeah, who's left? When's George Clooney getting his own Marvel movie? <laughs> Brad Pitt. Ugh. So the first big scare in Insidious is this moment where the uh, wife, Renee, is playing at the piano. It's so stupid. So, so it's set up as Patrick Wilson is a teacher, and so he's gone all day teaching. Um, but she is unemployed. It sounds like she used to work, but she just had a recent baby. Um, Callie, I think the name is. Yeah, Callie. Uh, so she's staying at home watching the baby. Uh, when the baby's asleep and on the baby monitor, she's composing. And the song that she's writing is so bad and so stupid. Um, but uh, she talks about it later like, oh, yeah, I had some really good stuff today. Like, I got some lines. And I was like, Mm-mm. But uh, the first big scare is when she's playing the piano and the baby monitor starts making static. And so she picks it up and moves around the house, and she hears whispering coming through the baby monitor. The whispering gets more erratic and angry until it screams. It, it's like this. It's like, I want it. I want it. Give it to me. Give it to me. Now! And she, like, runs up the stairs to catch her baby, and there's nobody there. But that's, like, it happens in broad daylight, and it's it, 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 it got me. Yeah. Like, this, this adult horror of, like, I trust the baby monitor. To, to let me know when something's going yeah. wrong. And if someone, like, snuck in, and I wouldn't know until I was hearing them on the baby monitor, like, that, I, I screwed up. I fucked up as a parent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I would never let that baby out of my sight for the rest of my life after that. And I'm pretty sure she, she just, she, she says, like, oh, something weird. I experienced something weird today when she's talking to him. Uh, what's the first big scare in The Conjuring that you remember? There's, like, some jump scares and stuff. I think what really gets me... It's like the first time you see the monster is like... Is that pretty early? I should have taken better notes. Oh, no! (laughs) I was just like, you always are so detailed in your movie analysis that I was like, oh, he just will do that. (laughs) I'll just... um, Well, you're lost now. (laughs) uh, So, there... You keep thinking you're going to see the monster. Okay. They keep building it up that you're going to see whatever. Like, yeah, you just keep thinking like, oh, like there's this music box the girl plays and she sees her imaginary friend Rory and you don't see anything when you look inside of it. And then oh, creepy. you see like they're playing the clap thing uh-huh. and then two strange hands go out of this old closet. Oh, from the trailer. And yeah. And clap. The mo- oh, yeah. Here, okay. The yeah, mom, what is the- yeah, go for the it. The mom gets stuck in the basement because there's this cellar that was blocked up and they find all this old antique furniture okay and then like she's in the basement and this mysterious ball rolls towards her and the light explodes and she's like running to get out the door is suddenly locked and then she like keeps lighting a match and because there's this matches there and then like the hands reach out and clap (laughs) i think that was like the first like big scare yeah i bet god i could only imagine how that would be in theaters um very paranormal activity like with that kind of build up it made me think of that actually yeah. even though i've never seen well it's movie, funny but... um the the going back to kind of the timeline uh saw dominated the horror franchise every year for those eight years a saw movie was coming out and then they stopped and so there was this vacuum for a new franchise that Paranormal Activity filled. And in fact, one of the writers for Paranormal Activity, I think five, directed uh, Insidious Chapter 4, The Last Key. So there is a connection that he went on from Paranormal Activity to work with James Wan on, uh, I think, even one of The Conjurings also. So where does Annabelle come in? I have not seen The Conjuring. I've seen posters for like five or something spinoffs. What is Annabelle? So Annabelle is actually introduced in the 
prologue. Okay. It's this doll that these uh, these nursing students find. In real life, it was a Raggedy Ann doll. But oh, I it's a real... Copyright, they made it a creepy China doll sure. instead. And Raggedy um, Ann's not as visually scary. Yeah. Um, and I love Raggedy Ann. <laughs> yeah. I'm not afraid yeah. of her. Um, and so the... They got they heard this ghost or whatever, and they get this medium because they're like telling the Warrens what happened. They get this medium to be like, "Oh, this is ghost. This girl named Annabelle who died. She just wants to a home." And they let her come into the doll, and then it turns out it's not a ghost. Annabelle was never a real girl. It's a demon, and it, demons don't possess things, but it's trying to possess the women. Ah. And so they're like, they throw it out or they come home and like, it's written all over the wall in crayon and then they like throw it out and then like it appears in the house and it like kind of charges them or like all of a sudden they shut the door and there's like this loud banging at the door and they're screaming and then it cuts that the Warrens and they had this in real life. They have like a room in their home full of all the like haunted objects. <laughs> a black museum. Yeah. And like, I'm like, why would you do this? And they have the Annabelle and she's locked up like in a glass case like don't touch okay annabelle and that's like the transition from the prologue to their home is she's locked up cool and there's because they have a little daughter named judy and she's like "Ooh, annabelle and the dad's like don't creep into the into this room that we have in our house full of demon objects (laughs) and then she she misses her parents when they're off giving lectures and so she found a net uh her and her nana found like a little locket so she has a locket with a picture of her parents, and she gives her mother, Lorraine, who was, I think, my favorite character, she gives her a locket with her picture. Okay. And that kind of ties down the line later, especially with the whole, like, motherhood thing. But Annabelle never, is only in the prologue and never actually Annabelle influences the movie? Annabelle back later. Okay. And she was not related in real life. Like, I don't know how much of this haunting is real, but, like, there's what people say is real. And, uh... She was not related to the conjuring at all. I think or the events of that happened, this haunting, but I think they just heard of the doll and they're like, "This is cool." And I so know. They put it in the movie. That's what's so frustrating is, um, especially I don't. It feels like with these James Wan movies, like Aquaman, they make the movie. You just fill it with a bunch of stuff. You don't know what people are gonna like or what they're gonna adhere to. Twitter and people respond to Annabelle, this really minor part of the Conjuring movie, so let's give that a spinoff. Quick. Hurry. And it becomes a bigger thing, even when it meant almost nothing to the original movie. Because the way you explained it is how I always thought it was, is that Annabelle, in and of herself, doesn't do anything. She doesn't doesn't move. move. She doesn't talk. She's not Chucky. She doesn't do anything. She's a a, a conduit for, like, other demons. And so it's just like, ooh, being around her is scary. She brings demons to her. And that sounds so not scary. Well, people have this fear of dolls, mm-hmm. and I just, I don't get it. Like, if I were to walk into someone's house, and they had a ton of dolls, I'd be like, this is weird. But, like... That, that, that was my fear growing up, especially Chucky. And it wasn't so much him being a doll, it was uh, the way he looked, which is, like, really specific, I've found. Because people yeah. are either afraid, you know, of dolls just, like, coming to life and stabbing you, or turning their heads and yeah. looking at you but but for me it was specifically what they look like scared me i'm a big boy now and i'm not scared <laughs> of checking anymore but i think because i my i had a very overactive imagination and like that like lack of an emotional wall so it's got my, you this far my parents didn't let me watch a lot of things that were scary because like disney movies were like scary enough for me the black cauldron certainly was the black cauldron was scary i had a very a lot of very vivid nightmares with like maleficent and ursula oh okay um 
So, like, it took me a long time because, like, my siblings were allowed to watch The Lord of the Rings, and I wasn't because they knew I'd be scared. It and, sounds like, like you wouldn't want to. Were, were you interested in scary things? Things that scared you? I liked Scooby-Doo a lot. <laughs> and it scared me, That's but nice I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, so I liked things with that bit of edginess or scariness, but in Scooby-Doo and in Disney, like, the bad things are done yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, they all live happily ever after. Yeah. And they pull off the mask, and they just were trying to scare away tourists to drill for oil. Yeah, no like, cliffhanger. Wrapped up in a nice little bow. So I think I was fine with that, but I think if it was something scary where, like, the danger lives on, I wouldn't be able to deal with it. So, But I like, was always... I wasn't scared of dolls. I was scared of, like, supernatural things. Like demons and ghosts. And, yeah. Okay. Like, and aliens? That's not supernatural, not, I guess. Yeah, because, yeah. like, I've been to haunted houses. Like, there's a famous one in the Detroit area, and, like... A lot of it was, like, gorillas or, like, people in, like, mental asylums. Mm. And, like, people in mental asylums, to me, they're not scary because I'm like, oh, like, they're being mistreated. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that because it's something that, unfortunately, is still done is yeah. uh, to show someone who has a diagnosable mental illness and instead portray them as violently crazy. Yeah, I just, to me, that's not scary or, like, things that are real and quantifiable in my life. But, yeah. like, vampires? Mm-hmm still one of my top fears oh okay vampires yeah cool because like if a vampire bites you you become a vampire yep and you're deathless forever yeah which like sucks that's a hell of its own yeah Yeah, like you can't ever reunite with your loved ones Mm -hmm. that you lost like you you're stuck the same age and depending on the vampire lore maybe you turn into this monster the longer you're alive yeah like no thank you Um, (laughs) no thank you it's not a glittery skin like the like the books tell you like werewolves slightly better but still i'm not scared of werewolves but i wouldn't want to be one i think i'd want to be a werewolf but i think that's just my inner furry talking uh so there's um other elements in the insidious movie at least where like the door flies itself open in the middle of the night and the alarm goes off and uh no one's in the house and they close the door again, and the scene fades away, and there's just a bunch of tiny little moments. But uh, I'll go first with my spoiler yeah. stuff. The big overarching thing is, oh, this little boy fell into a coma, and now the mom is seeing ghosts. The boy is astral projecting. He is oh. asleep, and he is projecting his astral self into the astral plane, and his body is now empty because his astral plane is playing around. That means ghosts and demons, benevolent and malevolent, are trying to get into this little boy body oh. so that they can live again as as human. in human, in life. Okay. And so that's the deal with Insidious. Where's his ghost? Where's his projecting? It's in this realm that Elise, the uh, spiritualist, calls the Further. Okay. Which I roll my eyes at. I don't know why we got to give it a name, but it's this like gaseous plane. It's very easy to film, very cheap, all black with some mist and lights right in Patrick Wilson's face, where all the spirits that have unfinished business and demons just kind of hang out. But what business does like a kid have? So it's unfinished. Well, the, the Super ki- Mario Five. Like- <laughs> so, oh, you mean like dead, like spirit kids? Yeah, that's I guess what they would do. There's one that we see that looks like he was born in the 20s or something, and he's a kid and he's trying to get into the body. No, but like her son. Her son is just playing. He thinks it's a dream. He doesn't know the danger that he's doing. Oh, he thinks okay. he's like flying, and he even like is like, "Oh, mom, I flew yesterday," and she's like, "That's nice, honey," because yeah. he's astral projecting. So that's not the twist, though. Okay. <laughs> the twist. Hmm. 
Should I keep going, or do you want to go keep with yours? Keep going. Then? I'm okay. interested, and then so, we'll go into mine. Yeah. So the twist... So we've astral projected and stuff. The twist is that his father also astral projects. And there's this subplot where it, we, we think he's cheating on her, but he's actually just sleeping at school so that he can astral, astral project. It's done really sloppily, and it gets wrapped up what? later. But yeah, there's this long thing where it's like, hey, when are you coming home? And he's like... I got to stay late and grade papers, babe. I love you. And she's like, man, that's so weird. He's never had to stay late before. And he just goes. <laughs> and he just, to, to what, why does he want to do that? So and how he, can he just do that? So, so astral projecting is a thing that like, you know, is passed down. Not everyone can do it. Oh, your father genetic. has to be able to. Yes, it's genetic. Your it's father. It's paternal? It's paternal. Okay. So your father, your grandfather, women can do it, but it's more like they, they that's a throwaway line, basically, yeah. that men are more likely to astral project. So the twist is that it's not a benevolent ghost. Uh, it is a extremely malevolent demon, demon that's closer than any of the other ghosts or, or spirits trying to get into him called the lipstick faced demon. It's only called that because of the credits, but that's what I'm going to call it. Patrick Wilson is told... When you were a kid, you used to astral project. Okay. And we had to, like, erase your memory of all of that because of a really traumatic thing that happened. Very similar to this. You were astral projecting, and another spirit got into your body, and Elise had to help you. So now, flash forward to the present, he has a son in the same situation. Elise tells him, you can astral project, and you have to go in there to save your son. So he goes into the further, mm-hmm. saves his son, brings him back, but the twist is Patrick Wilson gets stuck in the further. While he was in the astral plane, plane saving his son and bringing yeah. him back, a different demon jumped into his body. So okay. at the very end, Patrick Wilson isn't him, but he's pretending to be, and Elise like kind of gets a hint, so takes a picture of him, and we've established that picture shows what they really yeah. look like, and so it's a like demon and so patrick wilson crushes her like throat and kills her and that's the end of insidious oh my gosh and the writers and producers and directors didn't know what to do because the rest of the insidious movies are all prequels focusing on the most interesting character elise who dies in the first one (laughs) so so that's the story of Insidious. That I feel like The Conjuring is a better movie. Please, please tell yeah, me how The like, Conjuring is better. It has is, to be. Because we talked about the maternal things, but this definitely seems much more like a father story. Oh, yeah, big time. It, um, it's a weird shift because the whole first act, the whole first like act and a half, is the mother is, yeah. is there, and Patrick Wilson is out of the picture. He's almost a supporting character. But then in the like halfway through second act, he becomes the hero. It's really weird. Yeah, okay. The Conjuring is what they discover. They bring in their team. So Ed and Lauren Warren, they come in. She's like a medium. She walks around with her rosary and she touches things. And she remembers that the mom, she talks with the mom about like this beautiful day they had at the beach where they're all excited. Sure. And it's this really sweet thing. And so they're going around. They're setting up their ectoplasm thing (laughs) with (laughs) Drew, who's like flirting with the teenage daughter. Interesting. He's like, I think he's a teenager. And then he believes it. And there's a police officer who's helping them. And he's a skeptic. And they keep seeing these ghosts and people saying like, she made me do it or look what she made me do. And all I can think of is Taylor Swift. (laughs) Look what you made me do. Yeah. Um, 
but they find out that they start because they start seeing the ghost when Lorraine arrives she can see like a woman hanging she can see oh okay a little he looked like a pilgrim but he was from the 20s but I thought he was a pilgrim boy <laughs> she like sees this boy and like so she sees all this stuff and she even like they find a secret passage and she like falls to the floor of the house and is like being attacked cool. by these spirits and what it turns out is that this witch named Bathsheba from Salem which I've been to Salem if you ever want to talk about that but, uh, <laughs> so she lived she was related to someone who was put on trial during the Salem witch trials gotcha. and she was also a witch okay so she moved to this, she was an actual witch yeah okay. she moved to the farmhouse and like yeah, I know this kind of assumes that the people in Salem were actual witches, yeah, which yeah, is kind of yeah. like which what? is problematic. But. Yeah, <laughs> um, so it's like I think in the 1800s they move there, and then he they have a kid, and he catches her sacrificing the child to Satan, and then when he tries to stop her, she hangs herself and curse like says like hail Satan. I don't know if that's a thing. Maybe I'm just mixing up Nazis and Satanists. <laughs> um, and she's and it's like and like. Uh, curse anyone who goes on this who owns my land okay so then um, other people live on the land like a woman sacrifices her son Rory and kills herself and that's the one the little girl April who's like the cute little girl who gives here's the pancakes like she's friends with is like oh I'm friends with Rory this is where he goes when he's scared and so he and his mother both died in the house because the witch convince the mother to kill her kid so the ghosts are the uh victims of this curse yes okay so there's a maid who killed herself from a nearby house there are kids who have been lost in the woods or like disappeared and the mother she keeps finding bruises on her body and at first she thinks it's from having sex with her husband and it's but she's like what did you do he's like i didn't do that oh my god and she keeps getting these bruises and it's when she sleeps Bathsheba is like possessing her so she wakes up and she sees Bathsheba and she's like vomiting into her mouth. And cool. that image stuck with me. That's definitely something I forgot that where <laughs> I got that image. But I call like Facebook arguments like vomiting into the toilet of the abyss. <laughs> or like when people are mean to each other, I'm like, it's like someone just vomited into my mouth. And apparently that came from me watching the conjuring. When you vomit into the abyss, the abyss vomits back. <laughs> it, it did. It vomited back and it, it keeps attacking the kids. And it's because the ghost, Bathsheba wants to possess the mother to get her to sacrifice her children. Okay, because that's what she does to all the families. Yeah, she okay. sacrifices the children to Satan. And then the when Lorraine is being attacked, she loses her necklace. Okay. And that has the picture of Judy. So right, then the Lor- Lorraine gets visions of Judy dying. And they race back home. And in the middle of the night, like, Judy wakes up. And then, like, all of a sudden, the door to the closet is open. And Annabelle's out. And she sees Bathsheba... Or what looks like Bathsheba, like, rocking Annabelle, and Annabelle's head turns, and, like, she can't get out, and the door is shaking, and it was, it's terrifying, because, like... This is the climax. It's not the climax. Oh. It's, like, right before the climax. I thought it happened in the climax <laughs> when I was remembering it, but it happens right before, and the girl is just screaming, and they, like, rescue her just in time for the chair to have hit her and killed her. Oh, okay. So it's, like, now it's going to attack their family unless they stop this demon. So they find out the mom drove the two youngest daughters to the, like, the house and is, like, trying to kill them with, like, this pair of rusty scissors. Okay. So they get there. They're trying to stop her. Yikes. And there's, like, birds flying in because birds keep crashing into the house and dying. Okay. And they're, like... 
Demons they, could do crazy stuff, sure. Yeah, and they tried to they were trying to get the Vatican to approve the exorcism because the kids weren't baptized. It has to go all the way up. Wow, okay. But they sent them videos of at one point the demons pulling one of the girls by her hair and like whipping her around. Dang. And is that kind of like a B plot? Is following the Vatican and seeing if they approve or not? No, it's oh, okay. just kind of like they need to do this, but then they're like, okay, I guess we have to do the exorcism ourselves okay. because there's it has to happen right now. So they, like, tie her up, and she's, like, vomiting blood and, like, tied up in this sheet. She's trying to murder her children, and they're trying to, like, do the exorcism. And this is where, like, I know some Latin, so I knew kind of what they were doing. Oh, um, do tell. Well, it's just, like, they're saying, like, the St. Michael prayer, because St. Michael's the angel that fights Lucifer. And that's like, the, the one story. that one would say during an exorcism? Is that the one that said during the, in The Exorcist? I don't think so. Like, to me, that's, that's like a, a prayer that I was, like, taught as a child. Okay. Um, that's cool that they would use that one. Yeah, and they I... They would make one up. I recognize some of the phrases, because it's basically just, like, get out. You okay. You know, like, yeah. um, in the name of Jesus. And, like, the demon freaks out when they say the name of Jesus, because that's, like, a thing oh, in the works. Bible. Like, when you say the name of Jesus, the demon freaks out. Um, and Lord, so, like, they're trying to exercise the mom so she doesn't kill her children, and then they're like, Drew is like, oh, I found April. She's buried in this closet. And the mother gets free and is like chasing her. And they they almost have her. And Lorraine reaches down and is like touching her head. And she's like, think about the day on the beach. Like you have to fight this from the inside. So think about that day and how much you love your family. And that's what snaps her out of it. Okay, it works. Yeah. And then it's like, then the how the curse is broken. Like she broke the curse demons are gone and she's like oh my gosh baby i'm so sorry i tried to kill you and i'm like that kid's gonna need some therapy (laughs) (laughs) like and so it's like a happy ending they're all reunited like annabelle is put back in the closet like the judy's fine and they are like the vatican finally approved the exorcism (laughs) well too late yeah and it it ends kind of on annabelle yeah. I mean, she's the only loose thread left. I can't yeah. imagine any other cliffhanger. Yeah, so it's, there's, and it they play the, the music box that you would, like, see the monster in, uh-huh. but, or, like, the ghost, but, like, you actually don't see anything. Okay. Like, it just, it reaches the end, nothing appears, the screen goes to black. Okay. Do you um, ever get, uh, and that's it, that's the yeah. end. Okay, cool. Do you ever get to see Bathsheba? Yes. Because at one point, the oldest daughter, who's, like, the teenager, who's, like, grumpy, like, sees Bathsheba on top of the creepy wardrobe is it just a gray humanoid what's what do they look like she's like she looks like a witch like she has the frizzy hair and the pale skin and like fang kind of like bloodshot eyes and like claws cool so yeah it looks very much like a like a fairy tale witch like and she jumps off the the dresser and is like attacking the teenage daughter okay and that's definitely where the parents are like something's so wrong because like she's not gonna make up a bump in the night monster like she's she's a teenager like and that's when they're like we need to like they find the warrens and are like you have to come help us and the dad's like i don't know um because i'm (laughs) i'm nervous about my wife's safety and she's like no we have to help these people because she's like god brought us together for a reason okay and it's not to write a book which is funny because the warrens (laughs) wrote a lot of books (laughs) um so yeah this the conjuring is very heavily religious yes. as opposed to insidious even the the maternal themes are actually like a huge catholic thing like the whole sacrificing your child to satan yes so like 
or having to sacrifice your child to like God, God. even. Yeah. Well, like the whole like you know like Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. And they leave, and there's this whole line where God says, "I'm going to put enmity between the serpent and the woman." Hmm. So the devil's rival is like is Eve, is women, and like Catholicism has the whole thing with the Virgin Mary as like the next Eve because she said yes to God and that's how Jesus came to be so Jesus wouldn't be there with, if it wasn't for her oh wow okay. and so there's this whole thing where she's kind of the devil's arch nemesis so if you see in a lot of art you've probably seen this she'll be stepping on top of a serpent right um, and crushing its head because she like defeats the devil and is that implying that she's the only one who can or she just is a, a, a foil an antithesis yeah, she's like the opposite because the devil is She's like, Jesus' shoulder angel. Yeah, because yeah. the devil is like, I don't... He was the brightest star in the sky or whatever, and he's like, I don't want to serve God. And she's like, I will serve God, and now she's the most beautiful thing in the world. Gotcha. So she, like, replaced him. And so they're, like, rivals, and, like, we're all her children because she's, like, God's mother, so our mother. And so she's the, she's the woman. So she's the, the opposite of the serpent. Okay. And so the whole idea of maternal love being the thing that drives defeats the demon is like a very kind of rooted in like that that is a great mythology. theme and yeah. i'm thinking like i you see that a lot yeah um not so much in insidious and so that's that's a great theme that applies to uh the conjuring i'm wondering if the theme of um you've heard of man versus nature man versus yeah. self i would put insidious and it sounds like the conjuring into man versus god that the antagonist is a spiritual antagonist that yeah. has like the abilities, you know, of of a god, a yeah, ghost, like a supernatural like, force. Yeah, they can possess, they can go through walls, but like more importantly, they can influence like the real world and get someone to kill their kids. Um, but, I think it's interesting how the difference between a story about a father and a story about a mother, mm -hmm. in that. Like, a mother's love is able to overcome that. Yeah. Whereas the father's love, it's very physical. He has to physically go to the place. There isn't that moment of, like, remember remember yeah. the feeling that you felt. It's more of, I gotta break you out of this prison cell. That's what he does. But he ultimately fails. And he does. He's, well... He saves he, his son. He inadvertently sacrifices himself. He yeah. had no intention of sacrificing himself, but I guess that was the risk that went with going into this thing. Uh, so, yeah, in a way, he does fail. It ends, because it ends with the violent death of the mother, right? Uh, it ends with the violent death of the uh, spiritualist oh, who helped them out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the way that the, like, final shot is, is set up in such a way that it looks like he's about to kill the wife next. The The next movie fixes that, but, um, yeah, the last shot is the mother looking at the camera, the digital camera, and seeing like the 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 ghost yeah. that's possessing him and then you hear his voice go honey what is it she turns <sighs> cut to black uh. <laughs> that's the cliffhanger um so yeah so man versus god the other one is um daytime scares there's a bunch of daytime scares in insidious do they happen a lot in the yeah, conjuring they do. okay definitely more at night Especially, like, because in the day, like, the family's all together, but there's still scares during the day. That's such an important thing to to introduce, like, kind of piecemeal for the audience. Because it's really great when you go into a horror movie and you assume the only scary things will happen in the dark. The daytime scenes are safe. The nighttime scenes, yeah. anything could happen. Uh, paranormal activity falls right in there. It's really great when you can start that way and support that idea for the audience and then subvert it. And then yeah. go, oh... I'm not safe in any scene. Insidious does it right away, and it, like, flattens it, kind of, because the first scare is in daytime, 
And so I never really get that satisfaction of, of getting what I expect and then having the rug ripped out from under me. Does that do you, does that I, apply to the Conjuring? I think I think it does because there, there is scary stuff that happens during the day at the beginning because mm. they wake up in the next morning and the dog has been killed, and then they see the pigeons slamming into the house and dying. Okay, yeah. In my opinion, you lose something by doing that too early. Yeah, I I could see like I feel like if you want to craft like an ideal horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I really in even the first time I saw, it, I really do enjoy the Conjuring. But I'm also, I don't watch horror movies regularly. So to me, like, this is the one. Sure. And it's it's scary, but there's enough, enough like, character development. It's not just, like, let's watch Lottie Teens get murdered. Exactly. One yeah. by one until they're all gone. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's about families and stuff that you can connect with. Exactly. Um, so I'm curious, because I didn't realize, I, I guess I should have, but that you, you probably came to this movie with a much more, like, religious lens with your background was like my father was uh, raised yeah. Catholic and he was terrified of the exorcist. It scared him on, you know, like a fundamental eternal soul level. Do you feel that when you watch these kinds of movies, do you come in with uh, your background of, you know, like a, of all, I don't want to, yeah. I, I don't, I want to make sure I'm asking this no, question in a I, I uh, appropriate mean. way. I, I, it's, there's this funny story from growing up where I, I can never tell if my brother was trolling me or if he was, like, legit trying to help me because I was, like, a kid. He's like, you shouldn't be scared of monsters in your closet. You should be scared of the devil trying to come and possess you. Oh, my God, he would say that. <laughs> and I was, like, terrified. And my mom was like, no, that doesn't just, like, randomly happen. And like, a, But it does happen. It does happen. Oh but, my like, God. in... I've listened to, like, real, like, exorcist, like, talk. Oh, okay. And it's kind of like, if you're, like, receiving, like, the sacraments, which are, like, the regular christian rituals that like like confession and going to communion and going to mass and like taking care of yourself spiritually it's less likely to happen okay because you're not letting kind of the window in so if you're not messing with ouija boards or tarot cards or stuff like the, i grew up in a no harry potter house i think that's like, okay. a little extreme but like i get why like i'm not gonna summon bloody mary um I mean, if Mary Tudor, she she had a rough life, like, let her rest. Um, like, but it is very much a uh, consequence element. It's not something that could happen to any good little boy or girl. Yeah. It happens to the bad ones. Which, yeah, that definitely has that kind of fairy tale element. Yes, of, like, but I'm sure you responded to it. <laughs> yeah, so it's, there's that, and but there's also just, like, sometimes I wonder if it's just a spiritual way to explain trauma mm. um because certain things like it it tends to happen they mentioned like the things like alcoholism and abuse oh, because right. it like it's so violating it, it ruins your defenses like it can it, it kind of lets that window in that pain that addiction too yeah. yeah and so sometimes i wonder if it's just a way to people use to explain that trauma that can last generations and you don't even know where it came from. And you really don't know how to address it or deal yeah. with it. Years of therapy. Yeah, because like you can be affected by someone in your family's addiction, abuse, whatever, generations down the line and you don't even know it. And I think it just because it's just like it just is passed on. Do you think there's a parallel in the conjuring between that element of passing on like uh, original sin kind of mentality that this witch is the one that, you know, they now don't have control over their life. It's like being born with depression. Like yeah. if your mother or father had depression, 
you never got to choose that, and now it's something you carry with you, like a curse in that way. Like, there's this mention of this uh, French-Canadian farmer named Maurice who was possessed and who they did the exorcism, but it didn't entirely work, and he ended up killing himself and his wife. Yikes. And they're like, he didn't have anything to live for, and that, like, he was so abused as a child and so damaged, which there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, but the kind of idea... So they had this connecting the supernatural with the abuse, but like the family in The Conjuring, they're like a perfectly nice, wholesome family. Okay. There isn't a dark element that could... Yeah, because it, it kind of sets up, you think, how does this connect? But the mother doesn't want to kill her children. Right. Um, I think you could do some deep literary analysis of, she's a housewife and it's connected to her feelings suppressed, but like the movie oh. doesn't put it in there okay you're doing like, more work yeah like i don't think that's what anyone intended okay um and i think that would kind of the whole point is that at the end of the day she loves her children and that's what saves that's what her. saves the day yeah yeah so it doesn't connect to that kind of theme it is connected to this much more fantastical like a witch who like sacrifices babies to the devil sure because it's like using your gifts from god to like hurt him or make fun of him and it ties very nicely into, like, the element of, like, Mary versus the devil, like, the motherhood versus mm -hmm. the devil. But it's also, like, it's implying that, like, witches and Satanists are real. Right. Which, there's, I'm I'm always torn. I'm like, I guess they someone do. could be. Yeah. Like, because there's your Satanists who are, like, they're fighting against organized religion. They don't, like, literally worship Yeah, the, the actual devil. Satanists. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, like, I'm sure, I guess there are people that do, like, yeah, I want to, but, like, I have like trouble curses on friends. And yeah, that like kind of I thing. have trouble imagining someone who's like, I believe in good and evil, and I choose evil. Yeah, but I guess maybe. Of course they yes they exist. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's awful, but they do they exist, and there's a lot of money to be made off of them, <laughs> off but, of crystals and eye of newt. But like, I feel like, like when I went to this connect, like going to Salem, and like Salem can't decide if like the witch trials were like a tragedy. <laughs> Or, like, a marketing <laughs> They're thing. They're in the middle of the road to appease yeah. everybody. And so there's all this, like, the witch shops and stuff are, like, modern Wiccans, which are very different from anything that was happening in Salem at the time. Okay. Was, I don't even know what modern Wiccans, yeah, would be. They're closer... Like, the craft? <laughs> yeah, they're more likely to worship, like, the, the old gods. Okay, paganism. Like, yeah, like, okay. pagan gods. So, like, they're not worshiping the devil, or... So it's, like, there's that, They're but... worshiping payment. Yeah, but like sorry, it, that's from hereditary. Yeah, but like no one would be doing that in Salem. Like Puritans wouldn't have known of those old gods. So I'm like, it's just you're confused. It's confusing because you're like, you always just assume, oh, this was just hysteria. Why and like it spread, but then they kind of imply in this movie and sometimes even at Salem, okay, maybe some of these people were yeah, that witches. One percent of them were real. But like, are they the modern witches? Are they like Satanist witches? Is this all made up? It's confusing. Yeah. And it's also funny because so many tragedies happened in the colonial era that like, ooh, the witch trials are considered some of the worst. And it's like, this is bad. It's pretty standard it's for pretty, the time. Yeah, like, it's funny because witch trials weren't that common in the medieval period. They were more later on. In the Americas, right? Yeah, in yeah. the Americas, England, like, it was after the Reformation and people were kind of uncertain about people's roles in society anymore. Yeah, it's always that, easier to just vilify than to accept. Yeah, especially, like, women. Yeah. Um, vilifying the women, not women vilifying. I understand, yeah. I understand, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's like, okay, a lot of white people died in this, but, like, not even that many, and a lot of 
non-white people like natives mm-hmm. and would, slaves were like brutally were slaughtered yeah, yeah and by like, like hundreds where's the where's the story there yeah, where's the story there and like there's this whole thing where's where, the like, plaque for them there's this black woman who is a slave woman who like they think she brought or people were like accused her of bringing witchcraft or like she was speaking african and people were like not african but like what her native language and people were like "Ooh, that's She's speaking in tongues. Yeah, and like then she confessed to like riding on a broom, and I'm just, I'm like, of course they vilify the Don't one confess of color. to riding on a broom. <laughs> and it's it's just this whole mess, and yeah, my dad always told this story, and I don't know how real it is that there's an Irish woman who was killed because she was saying prayers in Gaelic, which was a language they didn't know. I didn't see anything about that in Salem, but okay. It's just this kind of... It definitely was, like, attacking the other. They were just desperate. To, they were just hungry to burn people. Yeah. Anyone who was different. Yeah, the Puritans might be one of my least favorite <laughs> societies. Um, but, like, then this movie is implying that there were real Satanist witches at Salem, and they passed it on to their descendant, Bathsheba, which is such, like... I, I guess this was based on... People in the con who still that's so problematic. Yeah, to but... to reinforce that 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 uh, not stereotype, but that like false history. Looking at like you know histories written by the victors, you were right. There were hundreds, yeah. if not thousand, of uh, natives that were slaughtered there that don't get their story. They don't get a plaque. They don't get tourists visiting them. Uh, really quick uh, to to yeah. bring to <laughs> those, are, those are really great uh, <laughs> stories. I really love hearing all of that, uh, and I hope my listeners get a kick out of it. But the composer for this movie and for Insidious and for The Conjuring plays Bathsheba uh, in The Conjuring. Really? And in Insidious plays the lipstick-faced demon. It's very rare for a composer to be an actor in the film that they're also in. That's but, so cool. What's is it, um, What's her name? Uh, his name oh, his is, name. <laughs> is uh, Joseph Bishara. Appears as the lipstick-faced demon and as Bathsheba in The Conjuring. Um, and I don't know what the music was like in The Conjuring, but the music in Insidious is nuts. Uh, specifically, the intro, in uh, when they first introduced the title, is this house pan that's really cool. But the instruments, the violins that are like... It's so cool. was done with apparently 33... Uh, violins, which in my opinion is too many violins, but what are you going to do? And then uh, maybe you're familiar, maybe you're not, but there's a sequence in Insidious where they play Tiny Tim's Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Uh, and that's what, are you familiar? Tiptoe through the tulips by the window that is around me. Um, just tiptoe <laughs> through the tulips with me. Boo! <laughs> Um, so, so that, that gets its own little thing. And I think it was repurposed in another movie. It's funny how, like, having a, a film, a song like that appear in a horror movie makes recontextualizes it, it and makes it scary for a whole new generation of listeners. There were definitely a lot of ret- a couple retro songs that were kind of made to be creepy. Okay. Like, one was about, like, oh, come, like, haunt me. It was this kind of, like, jokey yeah. 50s song. I know there's a word for that for when you use the uh, lyrics of a diegetic song to impl- to to reference the action that's happening, but yeah. I don't know the name for that screenwriting term. It was used though for like a transition scene. So it wasn't that wasn't huh. the scary scene. In the scary scenes they've used like more traditional orchestral music. I don't have a ton of the music didn't stand out to me in any particular way okay um so uh before we wrap things up here any final thoughts any themes or uh, interesting things that i didn't ask you about the conjuring that you wanted to throw in there 
I got one for Insidious. Yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs> There's. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I no, asked okay. you a question. Okay. There's um the the ghost that possesses Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Is a woman. Uh huh. Except it's not. It's a man dressed as a woman, and that's just kind of ignored in this movie. In Insidious Chapter Two, they actually make it so that character is a transvestite that they were abused as a child and forced to wear women's clothes. And so this ghost now wears women's clothes. And it is the most bizarre, like, tiptoe into, (laughs) through the tulips, into trans, like, character representation. And it is so upsetting. Yeah, I'm like, I feel like that doesn't... It's so upsetting. Well. It adds It adds nothing to either of their stories. And all it does is further vilify people who might identify as trans as oh they'll go crazy they'll go crazy because he it was forced on him yes as a like, as a kid why i have no idea like a weird i didn't see chapter two i yeah. just know that that's what happens <laughs> yeah that's that's uncomfy it um, is yeah it makes me feel icky is there anything like that doesn't stand the test of time in the conjuring i think the conjuring exists in like it's a period piece and it exists in this very like catholic because there's no black view. people in it, right? There are. Oh, there's there a are, reporter. Okay. Um, so, like, for a Holly, I mean, for Hollywood movies, that's like, I mean, standard. Like, here's one. Yeah, yeah. Um, At least they're not like the maid or something. Yeah. Still a service job, I guess. I mean, reporter. It's. Cr- oh, I thought I was thinking mailman. Yeah, reporter yeah. is definitely more like you gotta you gotta have your own. That's a career. Yeah, yeah. it's a whole career. Yeah. Um. It's. It nothing about it seemed particularly dated. It just definitely exists in, like, a world that I don't usually expect to see in movies. One that's more, like, a story I would expect someone to tell when I was growing up. Not something I would see in Hollywood. In that way? In that way, it does. I think it's a horror movie that will, like... Like, I was interested to rewatch it. Right. Like, I really enjoyed it. I think it has this kind of almost mythical, like, good and evil, like storyline yeah and like it even has kind of evil being vanquished at the end so it's yeah more than this one certainly yeah like it's so it i think it's timeless and it doesn't have anything too dated like the gender roles are pretty like standard for like the time it was set but they're not overemphasized. well it sounds like the women have a ton of agency it's not like the man comes in and saves her from the demon she has yeah. to remember it on her own so that's pretty great yeah and like it's definitely the two women's like there's a camaraderie between the two dads but it's the two women who like kind of defeat that's Bathsheba, great and it's because it's all about like maternity and motherhood yeah and i know it's like problematic when that's the only thing offered to women but that doesn't mean like you can't ever have that as your theme. It's still a good story. There's still a good story to come from there. It's just, you know, hopefully you can find a way to give them more dimension than just motherhood. Yeah, there were definitely like, people. Like like Lorraine is this character who like wants to help people and like has this kind of spiritual gift and she will like cares about people, so she's 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 very interesting. I like the way she was acted. She like her posture, everything was she was this very interesting kind of regal-ish character, um, especially because you walk around holding a rosary, so it's almost like you right. stepped out of a stained glass window. That's great. Um, so, so I think it was, it's interesting in the theme of motherhood, and like that's a theme that humanity goes back to again and again. Okay. 
So, well, we like to rate our movies here on the Gory Days on a scary of on a scale of one scary on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five being the best. Colin, what do you think of The Conjuring? Oh, oh, oh I, I, I should li- I listen to your podcast. I should know <laughs> that I was going to be asked to do this, but I didn't even think of it. Um, it's okay. It's kind of an afterthought. I'm going to give it a five. Five? Because, wow. Five out of five. Because I don't watch a lot of scary movies. I got to see this movie. But I'm like, I like this. If I had to watch, a, if I someone was like, show me a horror movie, I'd be like, oh, this is good. Like, not just because it's the only one I've seen, because it's scary. It's interesting. I like the characters. How would you rate Insidious? <laughs> well, before we move on to me, you usually assign to, our okay. thumbs so to I, characters in the movie. I assigned my thumbs before you. Yeah, rate. yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to give... So you can give them all five to one character, or you can split them up however you want. I'm going to give three thumbs to Lorraine. Okay. Sounds like she deserves them. She deserves it. She's she's the hero. She saved the day. Um, and that's cool. Um... I'm going to give... I like when heroes save the day with their compassion. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like, physical Punching. force. Yeah. I'm going to give half a thumb. <laughs> We're splitting them We're down splitting the them. I'm going to give one to the, the character of Drew, because I'm like, why are... What's, why is that is the this? teen? Yeah, I'm like, why is he here helping them? Like, what's going on to see a student? <laughs> I was just like... It was just, like, set up this whole thing between him and the daughter that was never followed it up never on. goes anywhere. <laughs> so I'm just going to give him a thumb, and I'm going to give half a thumb to... Mackenzie Foy, who was later in the Nutcracker movie by Disney. Oh, you mentioned that. Yeah, that was like, oh, Disney, you're going to do a fairy tale that you haven't already made. And it was really bad. (laughs) And I'm like, but you know what? She did a great job in this movie. She did a great job in that movie. She can't help how good the movie she is in. She always does her best. Good for her. Half a thumb. Half a thumb. (laughs) And then... Now you got one total thumb left. I'm going to have a thumb to Bathsheba for giving me that vomit motif (laughs) in my life. And where else would you be for having the witchiest Puritan name one could think of? <laughs> oh, so Bathsheba is a woman, right? In the yeah. movie, once again, played by a, a male. Yeah. yeah. So that's why you went. Oh, who is she? So I didn't yeah. realize. Yeah. Bathsheba is a. So one thumb to Bathsheba, you said? <laughs> yeah. I think she's a character in the Bible. I think she's the woman David murders her husband to marry. Oh, OK. It sounds biblical. I think she, she was bathing and he like looked down and was like, oh, she's hot. Yeah. I'm going to murder her husband to marry her. Oops. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so wow, five out of five. Yeah. I definitely got to check this movie out. Yeah, I think I think you'll, you probably won't like it as much as I do because you see more scary movies, so you might have a better <laughs> understanding, but I think it's good. I mean, I do feel kind of left out of all of these franchise movies that keep coming out. The Nun and the next, like, The Crooked Man and all this stuff. I yeah. feel a little left out, so part of me wants to just spend a whole Saturday watching all of them. I don't know if, how far I'll get. That but... sounds emotionally exhausting. <laughs> yeah. So what's your rating of Insidious? Oh, my rating? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Insidious is fun. It definitely sets up uh, and subverts a lot of the expectations and tropes that I've come to love from this movie, from these movies. They've built themselves off of the backs of giants, which is what makes those subversions so great. The third act sucks. I'm going on record as saying the first half, like the first three quarters of Insidious are good. The last act, or I guess the first two thirds of Insidious are good. The last act is so bonkers. I wrote this down. Rules. Because <laughs> there's this whole freaking segment where Elise comes in and explains to the audience, like oh, practically down the camera, this is the further, these are the rules, this is what you can do, this is what we have to do. And I'm just like, oh my god. You know what we were talking about? About no, like how fantasy like, this has This connects to what we were saying earlier. Exactly. Like, 
just beat me over the head with all of these new terms at the third act. This is the end of the movie, yeah. and you're telling me all of this stuff. Whereas we all vaguely know what an exorcism is, yes. and like everyone and a va- seance. vaguely has the understanding of God and the devil aren't friends. <laughs> yeah. like, so you can just kind of run with that. Yeah. Like, so granted, there are some awesome moments in the first two acts when you first see the red-faced demon right behind Patrick Wilson's face. That got me so good, and I've never seen anything like that in a horror movie before or since. There's this great scene in a seance where they're using camera flashes as like the scariness, and the camera flashes ramp up as chaos just goes nuts. And there's some other moments where I can tell the directors were like, everyone's going to love this, and it just does not work for me. So unfortunately, with all of that together, I'm only going to give Insidious three thumbs. Okay. Nothing to write home about, but also nothing you would, you know, stop halfway through. Uh, Ty Simpkin spends most of the film asleep in bed, so I thought like, oh wow, what an easy role for him. Uh, I'm going to give my thumb, I'm going to give my first thumb to Rose Byrne, who plays Renee. She may be a terrible songwriter, but she's a great mother, and she's there for all of her kids, except for Foster and Callie, who get written away, get written out of the movie at a certain point, because they need to be, you know, just out, so that the the exorcism can take place. So she's a great mother to one of her two kids. <laughs> one of her three kids. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to give one to Renee. She deserves it. I'm going to give one to... Uh, let's see, what what's his name? It was super funny. Um, yeah, so there's this doctor that shows up. He's only in one scene, and he just delivers the information that says, like... There's there's something strange. He's in a coma, yes, but he's not responding to blah, blah, blah. We'll just have to wait and see. He walks away, and Patrick Wilson names him for no reason. He goes, Dr. Sirkaz, isn't there anything else we can do? <laughs> and so I'm going to give one thumb to Dr. Sirkaz, because he definitely needs it too. And I'll give the last one to... Um, I was looking at the cast, and I don't understand where they pop up or somewhere, but Marfrin Kubar played... Marfrin. Marfrin. Oh. Marfrin Kubar played Tree. What? There's a cast on the cast and in the cast and the credits. There's someone cast as Tree. And I don't know if that's a joke or, or, or an inside something, but I'm giving him a thumb. Whoever yeah. he or she is, Marfrin could be a man or a woman. I love it's like a kid's play, like a kid's <laughs> school play, like I'm the tree. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. Like someone just like someone's kid really wanted to be in the movie, but they're a terrible actor, so they're a tree in the background. <laughs> so that's Insidious and The Conjuring. Colin, where can people find you online to uh, follow up with whatever you're up to? Uh, you can find me at your boy Ryan99 on Instagram. So that is Y-A-B-O-I Ryan 99 and you can follow my YouTube channel which is just Ya Boy Ryan spelled the same way no uh, numbers at the end and you can find my podcast on Spotify at Gleeboo if you type in Gleeboo or even if, even if you just type in Glee and hit podcast it comes up wow that's pretty good SEO yeah, not so, a ton of other competition in the Glee podcast there, market there are surprisingly oh. a few but we still come up so that's awesome pretty proud of myself um put that on my tombstone uh we'll be sure to include all of that in the description yeah uh otherwise thanks for coming on the gory days any final thoughts colin thank you so much for having me this was so fun oh you're Um, welcome i'm thrilled to hear that you were a listener too yeah yeah no i listen to podcasts all the time driving to work i have a long commute so yeah and without tooting my horn too much but we can get some cross-pollination between the gory days and glee boot oh i'd love to have you on (laughs) oh and we'd love to have you back here on the gory days Stay scary out there. The gory days. The gory days.